0: Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement,
1: to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation.
2: I'm your host, Carly Kootnick, and my co-host today is Sam Petter. How's it going, Sam?
1: Good. How are you, Carly?
2: Not too bad. Um, I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. Um, we have Crystal Shaw joining us. How are you doing, Crystal? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. So both of you, i'm I'm just thrilled. So um so Crystal, we have a cup, we have a starter question. And since you spend so much time hunting and angling, we would love to know what's in your freezer.
0: Currently, I have some uh, deer. From my second buck I harvested this past season, and I have some uh, pheasant from some pheasant hunting that I, I did. Are you making anything delicious
2: with them? What's your favorite recipes? What are they?
0: Uh, we we like to do tacos. Anything that we can put in a crock pot um, with some seasoning and some some sauce, and and do you know deer tacos, pheasant tacos it's, it's gonna easy gonna go and, edible
2: <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say i'm on board with that as well tacos or, it's, a, it's a no fail sort of sort of food group so, awesome so um secondly to start we would love if you gave us a quick rundown like tell us who you are um what you do where you're at what your path was um yeah give us give us the whole scoop
0: all right. Um,
2: well, um, I'm Crystal
0: Shaw. I am from Peoria, Illinois, although I grew up um, living in you know, three different countries and eight states and um, was fortunate to have uh, parents that love the outdoors. So I uh, grew up in the outdoors, uh, fishing, hunting, Um my career started in real estate and switched over to executive search. And then I came into conservation. However, um, that whole time, you know, I was always volunteering in the outdoors uh, for different groups, um, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, um, Shane's Anglers Fishing Program. And um, ultimately I said, hang on, what am I doing? Um, Why am I not working in the conservation space? And I was really fortunate to um, uh, get an opportunity. I was appointed as the executive director of the Illinois Conservation Foundation, which is is the nonprofit funding arm of the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. And that was really my foray into um, my my employment in, in conservation. And it was an awesome opportunity to just learn how it all works especially with the state of Illinois and and different projects that that are happening from getting kids outdoors to habitat restoration land management um, you know everything that involves you know the North American model of conservation. CLFT, Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow, is a program that I uh, was able to participate in. And and you just meet all sorts of people. And um, ultimately, I was um, had the opportunity to come over to the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation, where um, we have more of a national presence and, and able to make a national impact. And so um, currently, I'm the chief operating officer at, at Max McGraw in Dundee, Illinois. So a bit of an unconventional path to where I am today.
2: Yes, but I think it's curious. And I think it's, yeah, it's a testament to putting, right, making your career align with what your values are, right, and spending the time doing those things full time and getting paid for it. It's a pretty great thing. It's a pretty great
0: thing. Yeah, I have to pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, I get
2: to do what? (laughs) Exactly. Before we jump into into more of your professional life, I'd love to hear... Um, a little bit more about your childhood in the outdoors. What are some of the sure. like fond memories that you have that you're like, man, were you, uh, did you hunt and fish when you were a young kid? What did, yeah. Who yeah. was, who introduced so, you?
0: So both my parents did. My mom was really into to kind of shooting sports um, and she did fish and hunt, but my dad was really kind of the adamant fisher hunt, hunter. And so um you know, one of my fondest memories was my first fish I caught. Um, we we lived in Maryland and would fish on um, Penns Penns Creek, and uh, I caught my first trout there. So, um, when I was younger, I would more participate in fishing activities. I always went with my dad hunting when when he invited me, but it was more sitting, observing, asking a million questions, saying I need snacks, I'm too cold, you know, all those sorts of things when you're you're young. Um, But it was also an opportunity to spend time with him um, in the outdoors. He was traveling a lot. And so that's how I kind of got the bug. I I, I didn't shoot my first duck until – I was in high school, so, you know, 1995. Um, and then I didn't really get into actual going out, taking initiative myself until after college. So um, it was more fishing, but but always tagging along with my dad hunting. Um, and then as I got older, I just appreciated what the outdoors had to offer. The people I was meeting um, – and really got into the waterfowl and upland hunting. Um, Most recently, I've really gotten into grouse hunting. Um, I was introduced to that by my husband. So um, I got my first grouse this past fall, which was really exciting. And it's just evolved. I love to do a little bit of everything. So, you know, predominantly, I mainly waterfowl hunted, then started upland hunting. Um, I was introduced to deer hunting. Um, I, you know, it's a, a little bit of everything.
1: That's awesome. I saw some of your grass mounts and the, the story behind that you, with the opportunity for some unique species, they're beautiful. And it's really cool just to kind of see what, you know, you've, your experiences have been and hear about them in this context. So it's very cool to see. Thank
2: you. What about your fishing path?
0: My fishing path. Um, again, you know, my parents, you know, taught us how to fish. Um, we, I really got into fly fishing as an adult. So, um, we, we've done trips, you know, across the U S which I've been really lucky uh, to do. And then, you know, in Illinois, we're, we're predominantly private land. Right. So, um, just hunting on, on, friends proper, or excuse me, fishing on friends properties. And um, we have, we have a place down in central Illinois. So we get to
2: do some fishing there as well. Sounds great. You also mentioned that you lived in three countries. Could you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah. So you've lived Uh, all over. The the U.S. and Singapore and Australia. So.
2: (laughs) And did you do any hunting
0: or angling there? In Australia, we did, we, there's good fishing, um, over there, you know, they, they've got all the different types of hunting. Um, this was a while ago. They're, they're starting to implement different bands on hunting. I don't know if you, you follow, um, any of that in Australia, but we did, I did do, um, some kangaroo hunting, which is kind of the equivalent of, of deer hunting over here. Kangaroos are, um. They're actually it's really lean meat. they're they're really good to eat. Um, they're also you know it can be pests to farmers um, with different types of crops, but um, that would probably be my most unique hunting
2: experience, I'd say. If you were to compare kangaroo meat to, say, venison or something here, what would what what are the slight differences or massive differences? I it's just it's very
0: lean. Um, and sometimes, you know, deer can have kind of a, um, a more gamey taste where, where
1: the kangaroo did not have that. So a lot of diet impacts, right? Over yes. there, there's differences in food, you can taste it. Yeah. They say yes. that with pronghorn versus, um, deer as well, correct? Like more sagey versus like Eastern deer species. So that makes sense. Right. I've heard it tastes very good though. I've heard, I've had friends that have done that as well. And they, it, it looked great from the pictures. Yes. The, the popular,
0: um, a deer, or excuse me, a kangaroo burger is, is popular in certain parts. Yes. And they'll throw an egg on top of it or, you know, cheese.
2: however. You... <laughs> Listen, it's I I'm all, I'm game to try all of these different uh, flavors of food. Maybe some king root tacos, I don't know, a little bit of everything. <laughs> awesome. Um delving into your professional career, I'd love if you gave us a little bit more information on the um on the number of nonprofits that you've worked with. What was your path to volunteering with nonprofits and then eventually co-founding one?
0: So, it really started as, you know, following in, in my dad's footsteps, he would take me to, you know, the Ducks Unlimited banquets and the Pheasant Forever banquets. And so going to those as, as a kid, and then as an adult, um, I had moved to the city of Chicago, and I wanted to find a way to meet, you know, like minded people in the city. And, and so I, Joined Ducks Unlimited as a as a volunteer and really just started, you know, meeting, meeting other people who like to hunt in the outdoors and appreciated all that has to offer and um, it would do fundraising events for them. So um, and then from there. That kind of, you know, that that helped spin into how I got into my career because I met some people along the way that said, wait a second, why aren't you working in the conservation space? You're doing a great job helping to fundraise for these nonprofits and doing something that you love. And um, I said, you know, I, I had never actually thought about that as a career, to be honest. Um, and so that's how I was able to make the pivot.
2: So from a career shifting standpoint, for maybe some of our listeners who have hunting and angling and conservation as a current passion, what if you were to share like the best path to which you could obtain a job in the conservation and natural resources world, would you say it's best done through a nonprofit or state agencies or how would somebody get their, yeah, dip their toes in that?
0: I would say, you know, again, having coming to it later, um, because I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I wasn't aware, you know, that I could do fundraising or, you know, you don't, sometimes you just don't think of the business aspect of conservation, right? And so you hear about, okay, you can be a biologist or, um, you can be a hunting guide, but sometimes, you know, as a, a kid growing up, you forget about the business aspect. At, at least that was the case for me. And so I would say, whatever your passion is, whether it's technology, whether it's science, whether it's fundraising, any of those can be applied to um, a state agency job or a nonprofit job. They're all uh, applicable. And so um, you, Yeah, I'd say there wouldn't be a better, you know, nonprofit versus state agency either would be an excellent way. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a technology company helping to enhance, you know, maps for the outdoors. Um, There's just a a million different opportunities.
1: I think that's super valuable, too, because you said you were an executive search. You filled a role in that arena as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to overlap just, you know, hearing that perspective from you to, for people to apply to. Carly, can I ask a question? Yeah. So when you're looking at this transition, you've joined in in Earn's positions of leadership, right? And a lot right. of the stuff we talk with Artemis about is f- stepping up as a leader and filling that role. You have a unique perspective. You help define leaders and fill those roles. What would you offer to people who aren't only getting started in the field but want to reach and grow too? you know network you never
0: know who you're going to meet and and it, it, it could be somebody that is in a totally different industry but they happen to be best friends or or connected to or interested in you know hobby wise something in, in the outdoor space um always be meeting new people and and just being true to yourself and your, your own path is so important because the rest will come. And um and that's really how I got to where I was I am today.
1: It's great advice. Love that.
2: Okay, and tell us about Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation.
0: Sure. So, um, the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation is based in Dundee, Illinois. Um, we just had our 60th anniversary. We were founded by a gentleman named Max McGraw. He was a businessman and a philanthropist and, and you can thank him for the, uh, he commercialized the toaster oven. So you can thank him for that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he awesome. didn't, and he didn't invent it, but he commercialized it. And, um, And so, you know, he acquired this property of over 1,200 acres where um, we're able to continue, you know, secure the future of hunting and fishing and land management. And we do that through science, education, um, and demonstration. And um, and, and one of those programs, I'm backing up. What's unique about McGraw is that we are not species specific or habitat specific, which allows us to play in, in all different spaces where we can bring people together and um, and put together the most effective groups. And whether that is uh, Conservation Leaders for Tomorrow, which is a, a program born out of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation that uh, Sam is actually a, a volunteer instructor for that helps um, professionals in the natural resources area who maybe don't identify as, as hunters help them understand the importance of um, hunting and fishing and land management to our, our natural world. Um, we, we work on recommendations for the farm bill. Uh, we, do, we did striped bass studies. We you know grow our own uh, fish. We use game fish to, to grow food in aquaponics. Um, we kind of touch on all different spaces, and and more recently, we have gotten into the film business, where we feel this is going to be very, very impactful. Um, we just launched a year ago our first film called Wings Over Water, which is uh, bringing awareness to the entire prairie pothole region. and. Um, the habitat and the loss of water, and you hear about the Amazon growing up as a kid, and you learn about that in schools, but you don't hear about the Prairie Pothole Region, and so um, you know it's a, a campaign to to make kids aware. You know the IMAX format is is wonderful for kids, you know grades K through 12, and and actually all people to go see IMAX, but we also have an education curriculum that goes with that, and so. That's one of uh, four films that we will be doing um, just to create awareness around uh, water and and how water impacts people, habitat, wildlife. Um, and and so we're really excited about more more films to come there. That's Max McGraw in a nutshell, but we're always, you know, we're we're very entrepreneurial. We're forward thinking. We're always trying to find a better way
2: to do things than how we're doing it now. And what are some of those methodologies that, that you're using that, or that you've had the ability to affect? Like which, which changes have you been able to affect at Max McGraw?
0: Well, I'd say in, in the short term, you know, just um, from a leadership perspective, you know, I hope that I would have had, I've had impact on our employees and, and their growth and, um, their, their understanding of, of our natural resources and, and en- engaging them more than they already are with different projects that we're involved with. And I'd also hope that I've impacted um, women in, in the outdoor space and introduced them to not only shooting sports, but um, hunting element with different programs that we've started, such as, you know, ladies shooting days, ladies hunting days, um, with, with brand new people who have not been in the field. But it's, it's not just me. It's, it takes our entire team. And um, without our team, we wouldn't have these opportunities to introduce people into the sport or, or to hunting.
1: It's really cool. Um, We've done CLFT trainings at McGraw for decades now, I think. 19 years. Yeah. So I've had a chance to see McGraw pre-COVID and post-COVID. And we were just back for the first section at McGraw since the pandemic, right? And it was cool to see that in three years' time, the changes that I've done, a lot of nonprofits struggled with a response to COVID. But you guys have flourished from the hydroponics to in people engagement. A lot of people commented on the Women's Days and the events you guys have been hosting, and engaging new crowd, So you were really prepared to embrace that increased interest that we watched of the pandemic. And I've seen you guys blossom from that. It's really cool. And I, I know you're being humble, and I, but I do think that you've had an impact there. At least people have shared that with me as well, too, that you've played a role in some of that. So it's really, Thank you. Yeah.
0: It's all about getting people outdoors and no matter what capacity. And and for me personally, even if somebody walks away from the experience saying, no, that's not really for me, but they had a positive experience and a safe experience, that is is the takeaway that I hope each and every person takes away if they, if they don't want to engage in the, those sort of activities in the future.
1: It's huge. The environment and the atmosphere plays a huge role in that. And I want to talk about one connection that it's really cool for the two people that are on the call right now because Ding Darling was good friends with Max McGraw. And Carly, if you were going to get to chat about this, like there's images of like cartoons done of Max by Ding, And it just tickles me that both founders have like women's programs now leading and women in, in charge leading the charge forward because like people were entrepreneurial, they were networking, everything. But it just, it's funny how those relationships, you know, can coalesce in in generations forward. So I didn't know, were
2: you familiar with the connection? Um, I think you shared that with me previously when you first mentioned Crystal as a a podcast guest um, or recommended her rather as a podcast guest. So I was familiar with it, but I don't have a lot of historical context aside from what you provided. But Crystal, were you tracking on any of that?
0: Yeah, so yes, they, they. were, we're friends and um, Max McGraw was able to, you know, help influence a lot of projects that were were started by him. So I don't have the, the full historical detail though.
1: It's just funny, the the marketing side, you say, um, you describe the organization as entrepreneurial and that's kind of what I see like he brought into this space too. And the films is a cool pivot. I mean, it's gaining traction and, seeing some of the topics that you'll cover, I think are going to have that same impact in in connecting people, which has been your theme with the nature conservation and and outdoors in general. So Mm -hmm. it's really neat.
2: Before we take a break, can one of you share a little bit more about CLFT? What is it? How do people get involved in it? What is the outcome of it?
0: So CLFT uh, people get uh, involved in it through their, the state agencies, each state agency, will send, you know, uh, between five to 10 people to a a class. And, um, really it, it can be anybody from, in all levels of the organization. Um, and we also have an online version that was piloted through Purdue University. That's a, a condensed version. And, and ultimately it's to get people to understand the impact of our natural resources and the North American, uh, model of conservation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And people can't just sign up off the street. It's something provided to like a professionals. So like if people are interested in learning more, they can check out some of the other products, like the online course and everything. Um, But it's agency professionals that, you know, seek out that opportunity. It's been really cool to see if somebody comes from a non-hunting background. The goal is not to make them a hunter necessarily, but they see all the roles from everything from the culture of hunting to, you know, what does a hunter mean for wildlife management on the ground, et cetera. So it's that fundamental unit of knowledge that if they're a non-hunter, they can gain an experience in a week to apply to their job.
0: And, and these are, um, it's a safe space to have difficult conversations because there are some people in our, our natural resources agencies that are, you know, vegan, anti-hunting. Um, and, and so it's a, a great forum to have these discussions and um, come out with a different perspective and better understanding of why we do what we do.
1: It's the best part about it. That's very neat. Well,
2: with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our partners. Prose believes women hunt hard and deserve the gear to support their hunting and outdoor passions. What sets Prois apart is our belief that women require performance outdoor gear for all of their hunting and field pursuits. Their layering systems are quite technical but philosophically simple. Optimal base layers, prime insulation layers, and durable shell layers to stop wind and water. Take pride in not being one of the guys. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Crystal, I'd love if you gave us a little bit more about uh, maybe some of your favorite field experiences or just maybe one that comes to, to the top of your head.
0: Well, I'll tell you uh, about one that was extraordinary for me because I had never done anything like it. Um, in January, I went desert quail hunting in, um, Southeast Arizona. And the terrain there is, uh, quite interesting because all the, depending on the species of quail that you're going after depends on the, the type of terrain. So if you're hiking these steep hills with, with boulders, you know, or if you're hiking just kind of the, the flat grassland where cattle are, are grazing um, it was a rewarding experience. You know, you, you go out there and you hike, you could hike anywhere from eight to 12 miles a day and flush maybe one or two coveys, and maybe only get one or two, two birds, but it's, just being outdoors, the scenery, the camaraderie, um, and, you, and you're working really hard for, for what you the reward that you get, um, watching the dogs work. Uh, I would never done anything like that. I'd heard people talk about it, and um, it was definitely something that I hope I get to do again and again.
1: That sounds awesome. I can picture it just from the way you're describing it. (laughs) I'm trying to hold back and not be talking too much, but I I want to do it so much just from hearing your stories. And the dogs, it's just a different environment I've never hunted. So it definitely puts it on my radar to see it. Yes. You you never know what you're
0: going to run into in terms of just cat claw or, you know, uh, wild hogs, different types of cats out there. Um, But you know, and, and you wake up in the morning and it can be 37 degrees. And then by the afternoon, it's 55. So uh, the, the first day we showed up, it was snowing. And I thought, what am I going to be doing? Walking 12 miles in the snow all day, every day. But then it it, um, it cleared up and it was absolutely gorgeous.
2: I don't particularly love hunting in the snow. When your toes turn to popsicles it's, it is there's something very satisfying about like being on the move but the second you stand still it's just it's just frigid it's yeah. and then if the wind picks up man but you're right there is something about just being outside and um yeah being observant i think is maybe a good way of, it, of putting it
1: yeah um can we talk about the biology stuff that you guys have been working on in some of the urban coyote research that McGraw's been involved with it blows my mind to kind of know, you know, you have all of that. It's like a 1,200 acres of peaceful habitat and Chicago O'Hare is 20 minutes away. Like the research that you guys have been able to do on on site and everything, so close to urban populations is something of great interest that I think not many organizations or people have perspective on because you're right there, but you're also, you wouldn't know it if you stepped foot there.
0: Right. So the the urban coyote project that has, um, been going on for just over, I believe, 22 years now. And, um, it started with a, a, a grant to obviously study coyotes, but also, you know, at one point they, they didn't think coyotes lived in the city of Chicago. And, um, shortly after they discovered why, yes, they do live in the city and they're utilizing the railroad tracks to, um, access, all all parts of the city and um McGraw has been able to um capture and collar uh, i i would i don't want to misquote but tons of coyotes um and and by doing that we have this map within the research center um that's color coordinated by coyote and and you can literally see their path of travel all throughout the city, each one's uh, got a colored dotted path. And, um, and so they're able to track them, they're able to check on their dens when they have pups, um, and and really monitor their their behaviors that way. When the pandemic was going on, and the city of Chicago was shut down. uh, Somebody captured a really great photo of you know, there's nobody on the street, but there was a, a collared McGraw coyote right in front of the, um, I believe it was the, the Willis Tower. And um, it ended up on a couple of magazines in other countries. And, and so that was in National Geographic. So
1: I didn't even know that part of it. I just knew the research has been going on for a while. And I mean, it's been fundamental in like the wildlife community or some of the stuff that you've, the information that's been generated from their studies.
0: It has. And it's um, been led by Dr. Stan Garrett of Ohio State University is where we have the partnership. And then um, we have assistant techs at McGraw um, that kind of rotate each year as depending on where they are in their studies. And um, they will we they'll stay at McGraw. We have uh, student housing um, or other various parts, depending on what their project is. That's
1: cool. And are they on the fishery side? Do you guys have students too?
0: We have a fellowship program and inter and internship program. So um, we'll, we'll have a fellow and an intern on the fishery side, and then we have um, a couple fellows and interns on the um, outdoor, you know, recreation side, nice. hunting and habitat. Yes.
1: Is that something, if someone is listening, they could apply to? Or what is there a project or a program they could get involved with if they're in the area?
0: So if somebody would be interested in a, a fellowship or an internship, they could you know reach out to me directly. And I would put them in touch with with each department head.
1: Nice. Very cool. I mean, it's on the ground skills. You know, we talked about transitioning and volunteering to finding a position. You guys are an avenue of that too, potentially. Just education and exposure to it. And 100% I'll go with one more question um, given kind of your role at your organization now you've seen some really cool projects come to fruition right you've been a part of those too looking forward what do you think You know, the future looks like for conservation and what do you think from your experience being a hunter and a, a sportswoman in this space how you could contribute to it just give us like your future where you think everything's going to go
0: so I think ultimately that, you know, the, the message of conservation, we have to touch all people, right? We can't be siloed and, and only be talking to ourselves. Um, we have to be able to engage all, all ages, all backgrounds, if, if we want to continue to enjoy the outdoors in whatever capacity that might be, whether it's hunting, fishing, hiking, um, taking a picnic at a state park, and um, and and to do that, we have to all be able to sit around a table and, and have have discussions about uh, where we we might not agree, and um, and how do we move forward, and and how ha- ultimately just to to save the habitat and and make sure it's there for the next generations. And so I think the best thing that, that we can do, or you know, for, for me personally, is just constantly having the conversations with, with all people, um, engaging them and inviting them to participate, um, whether it's a, a shooting sport event or whether it's a, a fundraising event, um, just so that people are constantly learning and, and we're getting that message
1: out. I agree hundred percent. I think that's unique. I've often thought about it. You know, we do CLFT, we connect with people who often don't do the activities and participation. And it doesn't mean that you still, you don't value it. If you, um, let me restate that. Even if you don't participate, it doesn't mean they don't value the natural resources. Right. Right. And so I do, I agree hundred percent that that's our future in trying to find ways, you know, as a work with Artemis, how do we build pathways? for women if they're interested to come on board and try it right and they can value that see the value and find a different way to connect with it into the future too and yeah and I'd say
0: just you know breaking down barriers to entry because not all of us grew up with these opportunities I was very fortunate that I was introduced at a young age and so I kind of understood how, you know, what, what you need to do to go hunting, duck hunting, or what you need to do to go fishing, just the basics from getting a fishing license to what type of bait do you use, right? And that can be really daunting to somebody who's never been in the outdoors. And so, um, you know, having these, you know, national hunting and fishing days or, um, you know, starting a, a woman's shooting group, um, you know, and, and and getting grants to, Make sure the costs are kind of subsidized, so it's it's easier for for all people to get um, participate. I mean, those are just some small th- well, they're not small things because they take a, a village to get done. But those are some examples of, of other ways that we could uh, move forward.
2: Are you still actively um, also building this community? So I, I imagine right, you have good friends that are sportswomen as well. What does yeah, what does your community look like, and and how are you? um, giving back and Shane's Anglers, um, or some of your other sure. organizations.
0: So, um, so, so Shane's Anglers is, uh, a program for, for pediatric cancer patients and their families and, in you know, introducing them to the outdoors and, um, and that's been, you know, wildly successful for, um, uh, for the families engaging siblings who've never had the opportunity to fish, but also, you know, in those situations, um, taking all the worry away for for an evening, and um, and so, you know, that that's kind of one set. Uh, more recently, I, I had mentioned I am um, part of a group that uh, founded a. Um, a women's shooting sports organization. Um, our our president. It was it was started by our president, Robin Sheehan, and um, we actually launch our first of twelve clinics tomorrow. It's called the Annie Oakley Shooters of Northern Illinois, and it is um, a first five hundred one c three public charity to enhance um, enhance the enjoyment and an education of women's women in shooting sports, sporting clays. And um, we were able to get a generous grant and the, to help subsidize costs. And we're basically putting on 12 clinics a year. And uh, we've got instructors, beginners to advanced um, shooters and just to to help with the appreciation of the sport and in um, a non-threatening setting, right? Where it's okay to ask questions um, about you know gun safety and and targets and um, there is no such thing as a bad question and and so um, we just thought there was an opportunity here in Illinois for a, a group like that and so we have our our first kickoff tomorrow which is the clinic is full which we're really excited about and um, and then we also have a fall classic that's just more of a fun shoot but it's actually going to be the first ever all female registered NSCA National Sporting Clays Association tournament in Illinois. So um, that'll be in September and anybody can sign up for these. It's, it's open to the public. We actually have people coming in from other parts of the country to participate and, and all that information can be found on Annie Oakley Shooters. um, Oh shoot. Annie Oakley Shooters, Illinois and Annie Oakley Shooters i.org
1: that's awesome
2: I think it's crazy you. <laughs> you made it there you made it there that's it perfect <laughs> we'll cut this part <laughs> no no just put it in the show notes It just has to stay in here so yeah have multiple iterations of it all the way through <laughs> like take one take two take three <laughs> Sorry. Me. No, I loved it. I loved it. I was trying to re- regroup. Nice. Well, so anybody
0: may that. sign up for the tournament in the fall. And again, that's just um, an opportunity. We're, we're run by a 100% volunteer board. We don't have any staff. And so yeah, that's another way for all of us are giving back. We've got to incredible board of women um there who are all involved in in some sort of outdoor shooting capacity whether it's hunting or or sporting plays
2: fascinating i think that's that's great we have actually we don't have an ambassador in um illinois right now so we need to definitely do some work and and yeah, we'd lo- I'd love if you uh, shared some of these gals that are on this board with you because I don't know maybe Sam and I need to take a trip out there and yeah
1: Hello. attend some <laughs> of these
2: workshops. We'd like love to have
1: you. September shooting classic sounds like the first opportunity. I mean, yeah, I, Illinois has had a lot of history of women being involved in the outdoors and doing some first from you know, PR and passing and stuff like that too. So it seems fitting that you guys are hosting it and having an event like that. So that's exciting. And what was the date just to share with everybody? Is it like, we can put it in the show notes that way we can access it and link it. So. The the date of
0: the fall classic is mm-hmm. September, Sunday, September 24th.
1: Perfect. Well, hopefully we'll see you there. Yeah,
2: yeah. exactly. All right, with just a couple minutes to spare, I think we have kind of covered a number of bases. Thanks, Crystal. It's been, it's been really fun uh, chatting with you and and learning about your career and learning about these many organizations that you're uh, invested in. I think it's great. So Sam, did you have any last questions or
1: Crystal, did you have anything else that you wanted to say before we do our weekly closer? I just want to say thanks for coming online. Um, It's exciting to hear the conversation. McGraw has been on the map doing some fundamental stuff in conservation. So to have you guys connected and chatting is, is great. Hopefully other people learn about you guys and watch some films, go to some events to shoot or just understand McGraw a little bit more. So thank you.
2: Yes, much appreciated. All right, Sam, will you take it away with what your hit or miss was for this week?
1: Maybe I'll say that I started a new job this week and the hit is joining a great team um, and figuring them out and learning new and finding new passionate people. The miss might be figuring out how to keep up all my commitments and all of my love and everything like that. So it's not a big miss. It's more so realigning and and taking on this new opportunity that I've been offered. So I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to share more information with friends and colleagues, but the hits just been stepping into the job and being welcomed with open arms with passionate people and super exciting to get this work done. So that's a hit.
2: All right, Crystal, do you have any hits or misses that you have uh, experienced as of late? or that you're gearing up for?
0: Well, I'd say um, the hit would be this incredible clinic that we're going to be putting on tomorrow, Um, you know, barring a few mishaps here and there launching up to or heading up to the, to the launch. um, But I think it's going to be a a huge success. We'll see if, if there's anything we can learn from it or or do better for our next clinic. But um, I'd say that's
2: going to be the biggest hit for me this week. Awesome. Um, I suppose my To Be Determined hit in, or miss, perhaps, um, it's grant season. And so we are crafting all of our grants and we are um, hopefully going to yeah, funnel some money to prop the Artemis program up and continue to do great things like this podcast. So thanks for joining us on the Artemis podcast, both Crystal and Sam. Uh, we hope that you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious and get outside.